Hey, what's up, everybody? It's Coach Josh. I want to welcome you guys and gals out to another um, live Q and A. <laughs> this is what I be. This is what I'm planning on doing for the meantime. I want to welcome you guys and gals out. Hope you guys are enjoying your Thursday afternoon. Hope you guys and gals got your questions ready because I'm excited about answering your questions. I'm only having 30 minutes. I have some things I got to get to, of course, but I always want to make sure I stay consistent and giving you all an opportunity. Um, to be able to engage with me as I engage with you. Um, but for those who's watching live, I want to thank you guys so much for watching me live. Feel free to share, comment, engage. I would love to see what you have for me today. And for those who's watching later on YouTube or listening later, whether on Google Play, Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, and now officially on Spotify, I want to thank you all for listening and for watching. I thank you guys and gals all for your support. What's up, Bronx? What's up? What's up, everybody? And if you're watching this for the first time, and you're like, wow, I've never met this guy before. My name is Coach Josh, a.k.a. Joshua Ezzy, Um, And I'm here to help make sense of life, help you make sense of your life and help you grow spiritually for God's optimal use. So feel free to join the Un Unplugger community and let's engage and let's grow together and watch God use us mildly. And for those who are new to this live Q&A, you're watching this later, you want to know where the questions are, the timestamps are at the bottom. So if you want to know where all the questions are, look downward. But let's get right into the chat. So I can greet all the live visitors going on. Yahweh's beloved. Estella, what's going on? Stephanie, what's going on? It's just Alicia. Hi, how you doing? Hey, Jenna, what's going on? Sis from Bronx, New York in the build New York, Europe. Hi, Slim Rev. What's up, Just J and Y? God bless you too. Tabitha, what's going on? Raw Scallops, no problem. Glad to be here live. Um, Alif the Tower, how to be or how to have high self-esteem. We're going to start right there. Self-esteem boils down to where your joy is. Um, most of us, we enter the wrong kind of joys. We enjoy the wrong things. Enter joy, E-N-J-O-Y. We enter the wrong kind of joys. And when we begin to make these things our identity, then when those things are affected, then our self-esteem fluctuates based upon what we enjoy the most in life. If you want to have the accurate level of esteem, you got to make sure you are in Elohim. You see what I'm saying? He has to be your source. He has to be your everything. And to make sure that your self-esteem stays moderate, that it doesn't go low, nor does it excel to high heights that it shouldn't, you got to make sure you stay in tune with the Father. See, I used to struggle with low, I used to struggle with low self-esteem when I was growing up. Up, especially early 20s, because my identity was in my ministry. My identity was in my looks when I was younger. My identity, not necessarily saying I had all the looks, but I, I, had, I was trying to, I felt like I wasn't like the the hazel-eyed wave, the guys with the waves. I, my esteem was based upon societal uh, um, um uh, norms. So what society said men should look like or should have in order to be something, I began to connect to those different things. And when I couldn't grasp those things, my esteem was jacked up in the process. So what you have to understand is that the joy of the Lord is your strength, that you have to be in his joy. You have to be content with what you have. You got to be content where with God who is with you wherever you are. And that's what keeps your esteem at the right level. When you know that it, he's your everything, that he has everything for you lined up for you, that all you have to do is trust him. And what society says is beautiful, what society says is handsome, or what society has to say about whatever in life does not compare to what God 
already established for you. The Bible says the world wasn't the one that formed you in the mother's womb. Your mama didn't, your daddy didn't, God did. And God formed you with uniqueness, with wonder. The Bible says you were fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully means that he made you so reverently that he took his time with you. And he said you was wonderfully made, made meaning that he made you unique. So when you begin to grasp and enjoy who God is and embrace your uniqueness, your self-esteem will be moderate, but your self-esteem will fluctuate when you enjoy any and everything. When you, Your self-esteem will fluctuate when you enjoy things above God. Anything that you enjoy above God, if that thing or you are after instead of after God, those things going to have you fluctuate your self-esteem. So how do you have the right self-esteem? You got to look yourself in the mirror and be like one or two things, things you cannot change, Things you can change. That's how you do it. You look in that mirror, you say, you know what? If there's just certain things I can't change about myself, I'ma own that. I'ma love that because that's what makes me unique. You see this big forehead? There ain't a surgery out there that can shave it down. So you know what coach had to do? I couldn't, if I can't change the forehead, I'm going to embrace the forehead. You know what I'm saying? If there were things that I was insecure about that I could change, which was my weight, I was 310 pounds. Now in the last eight, nine months or so, I've lost 60 pounds. I changed it. So look in the mirror and look at and see what makes you unique, what makes you different. And if you can't change it, embrace it. If you can change it, change it. Hope to help. God bless you too. Oh man, here I go. I done messed up. There we go. How do I, I'll make sure I skip them. Okay. How do I let someone go and stop looking towards the past, open the door for God's best? Good question. Um, you gotta, you gotta see, you gotta, you gotta, you gotta get the thoughts out of your mind onto paper. That's what I always tell people. Because when you do the paper and the list of pros and cons, you will be able to see why you should let someone or something go, right? So what you need to do is get a sheet of paper and write down the pros of that individual and the cons of that individual. And many people be like, well, Josh, there were more pros than cons, but not all pros and cons weigh the same. There could be 50 different pros, but that one person has one con that outweighs all of them. So what you have to do is say, okay, what are the reasons why I'm not in this relationship? Why, why, why should I let this individual go? And you got to write that down a sheet of paper so that you can go back to it to be reaffirmed on why you had to let that firm grip grow, go. You see what I'm saying? So what you have to do is you got to look towards the mark of the high coin. You got to look forward. You got to look at what you have in life. The reasons why many of us cannot look beyond what happened in our life because we allow what happened in our life to shape our identity. Whatever you identify with will determine what you do with your life. And if you, if you, that's why you can't jump into the relationships because what most people forget that they do is they begin to try to find their identity in another individual. The only individual that holds your identity is Jesus, period. Every other person should complement the identity that you have that you have been that you have allowed to be shaped by God. That's paramount. But most people are got poor identity, they don't even know who they are, they're confused about themselves, and then they try to infuse their life into someone else's hoping to find themselves, and you get messed up when the relationship is over. So, what you have to make sure you understand is okay, yes, this is what happened. Let me count it as a loss. That's one principle you have to understand as, as in life. Suffered is loss. Okay, you lost time, cool, you lost whatever, but thank God you got your life. So how do you let someone go? Write down the reasons why they should stay let go. You see what I'm saying? And how you stop looking towards the past, you got to be able to say, 
Am I a resident of 1506 Pass Boulevard? Your past was not meant to be a place of residence. It was supposed to be a place of reference. It's supposed to be a place that you refer back to to see the goodness of God, that you refer back to to make sure you don't make the same mistakes going forward. It's supposed to be a place of reference, not a place of residence. So many people live in their past that the place it's supposed to occupy right now is vacant. And God is like, how can we go into a prosperous future if you're not even present in your moment because you're still living at 1056 uh, 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 Plaza uh, Pass Avenue. Come on, you gotta let the past be the past and move forward. Just thank God that you ain't dead. Thank God that you ain't lose too much. And whatever you lost, suffer this loss and keep it moving. Because I'm telling you, God ain't gonna progress you forward if you still hold on to what's behind you. Adriana says, What's up, uh, coach? What's your favorite book in the Bible? My favorite book at the Bible is probably Luke. Luke is probably one of my favorite books in the Bible because of its historical accuracy. Um, how a lot of historians look at that book of Luke as one of the top historical documents of all time. Um, I love Luke. I love the Gospels. Um, I love Proverbs. You see what I'm saying? I love uh, James. Um, there's a lot of books in the Bible that I love, but Luke is probably my favorite book in the Bible. What's going on, Sweet P? What's going on, Lakeisha? What's going on, sis? What's going on? Teresa Smalls, good evening, good evening, good evening. Floyd in the house. What's the best way to tell someone you are not interested, even though they haven't said they are interested, but they show in your action, in their actions? Just make sure your actions communicate first. And if they choose to communicate to you, then you use your words. You see what I'm saying? Make sure that your actions stay consistent. And even though that person, because what you don't want to do is to assume, because some people's level of friendliness is on different levels. And what I don't want you to do is go out there and 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 assume that someone likes you. And then that person, even if that person did like it, they can spin it against you. So what you do is keep your actions consistent and making sure that you give the side hugs, you give the pounds, you see what I'm saying? You give the church, you give the waves, you, you keep conversation short, keep your actions consistent and keep your actions, uh, keep, make, ensure, make sure that your actions clearly communicate that you're not interested. And if they do choose to use their words, then you use your words. You see what I'm saying? So that's the best way that I could tell you um, to, to, to let someone know that you're not interested. Now, if they're crossing certain boundaries, then you got to say, you know what? Hey, use buzzwords like bro, you know, like what's up, friend? You know, what's up, a uh, homie? You know what I'm saying? Call him by his first name. Hey, John. You know what I'm saying? Uh, you just use buzzwords. You see what I'm saying? To initiate your boundaries. But if that person is crossing your boundaries, and 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 really is flirting with you in a certain way that makes you uncomfortable. Then you use your words. But if it's just like surface stuff, surface uh, jabs, and letting you know they're interested, let them do what they do. But make sure your actions contradict that, so they won't think that you are uh, collaborating collaborating with their their flirting. But it, if they then use their words talking about the interview, then use yours. I just think that's the wisest thing to do. Sweet P says, forgiveness is remembering without anger, but what to do when you remember what hurt? I understand. <clears throat> forgiveness is a process. Forgiveness is a process. Um, it takes time, depending on what happened to you, to, to, to not feel the feelings of hurt. You're never going to forget what happens to you. That's why the devil loves... Um, ensuring that people intrude and making sure things happen because he knows the human mind can never forget. 
Um, <clears throat> the thing is not about forgetting <clears throat> because you'll never forget. The, the, the issue is, or the goal is to make sure you don't feel the same way. Now, the best way to flood out those different feelings of, of, of what happened to you is every time that you remember, every time it comes to your mind about what happened, you have to have a documentation. You have to have something that's tangible for you to go back to, whether it's in your phone, whether it's in your computer, whether it's in paper form, that reminds you the day that you forgave them out of your mouth to God, write that date down so that you can tell the devil, I did forgive this person. It was on June 6, 2019. I forgave this person. I gave it over to God. And then and right up under that date, I want you to write down um, um, all the great things about them. I also want you to write down all the things God is could use or is using from that situation. Because, because if there was no Judas, there would have been no betrayal. If there was no, there, certain things had to happen for purpose to happen. So what you have to do is write a, write the date that you did forgive, write down nothing but positive things about them, whether it's one and a half things or a half a thing. Then after that, I want you to write down, what was the other thing I want you to write down? I want you to write down, um, <clears throat> man, I want you to write down how how is God how how is God using that situation? How has God used that situation? So you can remind yourself that oh, it was good that I was afflicted. Oh, Father, oh yeah, I can't forgive them for they knew not what they was doing. Then you would be in a place of peace because you realize ah, that makes sense why that happened, how it happened, and this is how God is using what happened for me to to work in my purpose effectively. Those are some practical things that you should do to ensure that when you do remember a hurt, you know what habits to kick in to ensure, ah, bet, I can get over it quicker. The date that I forgave the person, positive things about that person, and thirdly, how is God using that situation in my life right now for my betterment? How is he, you? How did he use that to turn everything around for my good? That's how you get over a person. But the most important thing in forgiveness is not comparing the sins against you, but your sins against God. What I mean by that is because when you're under the blood, you're good. But what I mean by that is realizing, you know what? What what they did to me can't compare what I did to him. And because of God's grace towards me, I surely can forgive this lighter debt towards me. That's what helps me forgive. I realize, man, God forgave me. And since he forgave me, I can forgive them because forgiveness is giving you the opportunity to go forward. The more you hold on to a situation, the 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 slower you uh, you go towards where you want to go in life. Hope to help. Ross Scallop says, I'm in a Christian college. How do I focus my time with God instead of searching for a woman? Good question, man. Uh, stay focused on your purpose. Yo, see, um, when you're not focused on them, they want you. When you focus on them, they don't want you, right? Life is about energy. Whatever you give energy to, sometimes they try to manipulate and use that energy for selfish reasons or whatever. But the moment you focus on the things of God, then that's when they show up. But this is what I want you to, I'm just saying that as a principle, but to answer your question specifically, listen, let me tell you about my twenties, about my, um, years. Wasn't perfect, but I had a purpose. Um, the things that I did in my twenties is paying me money in my thirties is impacting countless of lives in my thirties is helping me, uh, provide for my family. When you 
when you have goals for 10 years out in your life, for 20 years out in your life, see what I did at 22, 23, the reason why I didn't have sex, I didn't smoke, I didn't drink, I didn't do certain things because I had a purpose. I had a calling. I had goals. I I, I began, I started early um, studying the individuals that are where I wanted to be. And I began to listen how they, I've been, I began to listen to how they talk. I began to listen to how they, how they uh, move and how they do things. And I realized, wow, they were once in my shoes. And if, and if I can sacrifice 10 years of my life to focus on the next 50 or 60 years of my life, then when 30s come, then I then then life will be great. Well, most of what messed most of us up was we thought we thought at 15, at 30 was old. We set these earnest goals that by 20, by 21, by 25, I should have this. It's like, no, man, 20s are overrated. Trust me. 30s is when it's where it's popping. 30s is where because 30s. If you're 30 in a club, people look at you crazy. If you're 30 out here and got nothing, you say you look crazy. So what most people find themselves in their 30, they have nothing to show for their teenage years. They have nothing to show for their uh, for their 20s. And then when they meet a woman that's looking for you to show something that that why should I take, why should I even entertain your pursuit of me? You have nothing to offer. My wife married an author. My wife made married a motivational speaker. My wife married a man of God. My wife married a man that was in his career for 10 years. See what I'm saying? I have something to offer. The goal is, is to utilize your 20s, utilize your uh, college career to do what everybody else is probably not doing. See, those who focus now flourish later. Those who are distracted now have nothing to show later. Listen, my man, women, you're going to have what you always. Don't worry about them women. You see what I'm saying? Because because if you entertain women now, you will never have anything to offer the one woman that God has for you to do later. Forget about distractions. Keep moving forward because they have nothing to offer you at this moment now. And you don't have nothing to offer them at this moment right now. And that's what kept me humbled. What do, what, what do I have to offer a woman? I say, you know what? When, I, when it's time for me to get married, I'm going to have at least 10 residual incomes. And I had 10. What? Well, I had, yeah, right. The day I got married, I had 10 residual pots of income. You see what I'm saying? You got to set goals. If not, you're going to be distracted by women, distracted by situations going to deter you. Hope to help. Krista Moore says, there's a man that stares at me, texts me, uh, texts me, hung out a few times, tells me all of these beautiful things about me, but will not do anything past that. How do you wait or should I let it go? Talk is cheap. Actions are expensive. Talk is cheap. Actions are expensive. Most people talk and people who are who who live in the cheap clearance area of life, they settle for that cheap talk. No, I look for I look I look for actions. You see what I'm saying? I What you got to understand is that person, that man will tell you any and everything and keep you close so that he can still do whatever he needs to do and keep you in his back pocket. You don't got time to be in nobody's back pocket, Crystal. I don't care if he stares at you, texts you, hangs out with you, tell you all these beautiful things about you. What is he doing? Faith without works is dead. I don't care what that man says out of his lips. What is he showing through his life? You see what I'm saying? You don't wait no longer. You don't wait no longer. Curtis, you may be able to do a courtesy call. Hey, hey, I'm letting you know right now. Hey, uh, right now, I think I need to focus on me. 
um, or have the conversation. Where are we going with this? You see what I'm saying? Because you don't don't allow your just because just because he's a man. And what I mean by that is I'm sick of being lonely. You know what I'm saying? I'm tired of being by myself. So you don't have to settle. Do you know how long it takes to make a good man? You know how long it takes to make a good man? It took God good 30 years. You know what I'm saying? For me, you see what I'm saying? I had some great qualities, but he had to really mold me. I didn't get married till I was 32 years old. God took some time to make me. You see what I'm saying? Or make any good man. I'm not saying, I'm not trying to advertise that I'm a good man and I'm only good because God is good. You know what I'm saying? So I'm not thinking of myself more highly, but what I'm saying is, hey, there's certain attributes. If you want a man of God, that's certain. that's a certain amount of modules he has to go through. You see what I'm saying? So what you have to understand is I don't care what how, how much that man texts you. I don't care how much that man has to say about you. What is he doing? Do you know how many women were sweet talked until they became sour? You, they, they've been sweet talked their whole life and now they sour because that sweet talk ain't got them nothing. So what I would do is I would have a, I would at least give him one courtesy call. Yo, where are we going in this relationship? Where are we going? If that man is like still trying to sweet talk you, like man, I got plans. Like, look, I right, I gotta go. Don't wait because you shouldn't waste your time for someone that's only advertising what they don't have in stock. Hope that. So if I was y'all, let it go. But I'm as a good as a nice coach, I'll tell you to give a courtesy call. Uh, okay, here we go. How do I stay focused when praying? Most of the time, I drift and my mind tries to take me somewhere else. What should I do? Good question, Tabitha. A lot of people struggle with this. So how do I stay focused when praying? Most of the time I drift. See, um, you have to change the way you think about prayer. Prayer is not a duty. It's a it's it's a relationship. It's a conversation. When you look at prayer as a duty, well, I got to do this or God's going to be mad. I should do this or this ain't going to happen for me. No, prayer is a conversation with God. My prayer, my prayer time with God became enjoyable when I treated him like a person. When you treat him like a machine, it ain't gonna be it ain't gonna be fun. But if you treat him like a person, you'll understand friendship. See, what's messing up a lot of us right now, we don't know how to be a friend. So if we don't know how to be a friend, how can we befriend God? See what I'm saying? And so when you look at God as a friend, that he is a person, that he's an intellectual being that 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 in endeavors to communicate with his people, then then you will look at it as a great moment. I get to talk to God. And so what I had to do was to change my understanding about God by understanding his attributes. So I went on Google and I typed in the attributes of God and I began to look and get to know him. It's like you, prayer becomes my conversation with my wife grow or grew the more or grows, the more I get to know her. Like I get even more intrigued by her day by day, week by week, because I'm getting to know her. I don't mind talking to her. You see what I'm saying? You know, and that's the same thing with God. When you get to know God, you can't wait to talk to God because, because like the angels, when they sing praises, when they see a new variance of God, when you get to commune with God and communicate with him, you can't wait to pray when, no matter when it's good, no matter when it's bad, because you have befriended him. So how not to get distracted is, is to, is to deepen your devotion by getting to know him. I promise you, if you go to Google right now and type in attributes of God and get to know him and then in faith, um, um, talk with God and, and, and don't just have a monologue, have a dialogue and wait to hear what he has to say back to you, man, you'll begin to see just how great it is to talk with God. 
So how do you stay focused when praying? Here's some practical things, real talk, because most of it is warfare. When you find it the hardest to pray, pray your hardest. Now, what does that mean? When you find that there's a hindrance in your prayer, there's probably a demonic hindrance. So what you do is this. Um, excuse me, God. I come against every demonic spirit that's keeping me from praying. In the name of Jesus, I command every demonic spirit in my presence to leave my home, to leave this moment. This moment is holy. Therefore, I will communicate with God. And I turn my attention back to you, Heavenly Father. Thank you for this opportunity for us to dialogue and let's get into it. God, here is what's on my heart. God, what is on your heart? What also helps my prayer the practical thing I do is I never go to God first with a need. I go to God, how can I meet your need? I don't go to God, here's my needs. I go to God and say, what do you have need for me to do today? What you need for me to do today? I go to God saying, hey, God, what's up? What's on your heart, man? What you need for me today? You good? God, you good. Do I need to go slap somebody? Do I need to go out here and, you know what I'm saying, flip tables for you? I'll go out here. I'll, go, I'll be a madman for you. God, what you need? What they say about you? You know what I'm saying? So I, I, I've trained myself to go to God asking how he's doing and that and, and you'll begin to feel a burden of god what's on his heart you'll begin to maybe god uh, give you a burden on his heart or maybe god would be like you know what pray for this person or god would be like yo work i got this idea i've been waiting for you to wake up son i got this idea for you i need you to write this in your book i need you to do this when you go to him thinking of him first then you don't have to worry about what you have on your heart you see what I'm saying? So those are some couple of practical things that I do that I think will help you um, to deepen your prayer life and enjoying it more. Hope to help. Adriana says, how would I know if God wants to separate me from my friends that I'm currently close to? Um, When there is no longer, how can I put this? When there is a, when they're not a friend. Now, what I mean by that is you can still be friendly. You can still be a friend to them. But if that person is not, if that person is not willing to grow, then you may need to <clears throat> slow down that relationship, that friendship. See, with me, I I don't need friends. You know, I, I have friends, but I don't need them because God is enough for me. I appreciate my friends. Don't get me wrong. I appreciate my friends, but I don't need my friends. Need leads to perversion. So some of us, we be like, well, I can't let them go because they need me or I need them. I can't let them go because of however long that we were friends. You got to get all that stuff out of your mind and focus on befriending you. The best way um, to know who your real friends are is to befriend these two people. You got to be a friend of God. You got to be a friend of yourself. When you have these two BFFs in your life, then you will be selective on the friends that you surround yourself with. And when you are a friend of God and you're a friend of yourself and then people start acting funny, now you begin to see the, 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 the different types of friends you have. And then you, you won't be, it won't be hard for you to let them go. Um, but you know you need to let a friend go when that person is in sin, when that person is is not trying to win, and when that person is trying to get deeper in. <laughs> I made all that up at the top. See, you gotta you gotta let them go if they're in sin. You gotta let them go if um if they're um man, that was good and I forgot it. You gotta let them go if they're in sin. You gotta let them go if they ain't trying to win. You gotta let them go if they're trying to get deeper into your life, but ain't growing their own life. They're just trying to get invested, trying to control you. If they're in sin, if they ain't trying to win, if they're trying to get deeper in, chances are they're not a good friend. Hope they help. What's up, Orlando? My nephew in the building. What's up, Tail Traps? 
Subscribe to my nephew's channel, Tell Traps, if you're looking for the best of, of Fortnite. <laughs> All right. Good questions, y'all. Uh, okay, here we go. Man, I got, I've been going 27 minutes. I got to go to the gym, y'all. Hmm. All right. Uh, what's the best way to share the gospel with a friend who's an unbeliever but open to learn? Um, show them through your life. Show them through your life. The best way to show the gospel is to show how the gospel changed your life. It's pointless to share the gospel of your lips if the gospel have an impact, hasn't impacted your life. Because you're going to confuse the person that you're sharing the gospel to. I heard someone say, I think it was Mother Teresa, they said, said this, is that, um, um, preach the word or preach the gospel or preach the word and use words if necessary. Oh, um, uh, preach the gospel and use words necessary or something like that. So what I'm trying to say is um, live life with them, build life with them. Um, uh, in the meantime, study more about your faith so that you can share in accuracy the hope that's within you. You see what I'm saying? Um, but the best way to share the gospel with, with the unbeliever is to make sure that you are a believer. And that you believe what you believe in and is, an, and is manifesting itself in your life that you believe. Because if, if they can see it in your life and hear and see that it correlates with the words that come out of your mouth, they'll believe. But if they hear what you got to say and they look at your life and your life don't match what you say out of your lips, then, then there's no validity in the faith. And I think that's what messes up a lot of people. It's not Jesus, it's the followers. And it's not even the followers, it's the fake followers. There's real genuine followers of Jesus. There's a real Jesus. There's real followers of Jesus. It's the fake followers. It's the non-converted or semi-babes in Christ who's who's super zealous about a gospel they haven't even allowed to go deeper into their lives. It's confusing a bunch of people and it turns a lot of people off. So what I would do is before you say a word, make sure you're living it out of your life. And that's the best way to share the gospel to a non-believer. Hope that helps. Can two Christians be unequally yoked? Ooh, met a Christian man. He thinks everything non-Christian is a sin. Like going to a festival or skating and throw scripture at me all day. His life is, is ministry and work. Um, yeah, to answer your first question, two Christians can be unequally yoked. There's babes in Christ and there's seasoned vets. You see what I'm saying? There's babes in Christ and seasoned vets, right? Um, seasoned vets doesn't mean that you're a mother of the church, doesn't mean that you've been with God for 10 years. Seasoned vets means you've been seasoned by seasons. So I mean, you've been through some seasons, you've seen the salvation of the Lord, you've seen things happen in your life, you you've seen the work of God, you you seasoned. That means you're able to discern signs and times. You're able to, you so seasoned, you can discern seasons. You see what I'm saying? We're talking about seasoned vets. A seasoned vet ain't gonna want to be with no baby in Christ. They ain't, it, it's almost better. No, I'm joking. <laughs> But 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 uh, but that's what I'm trying to say. So they could be unequally yoked. So if a if a person has been walking with God for years, he ain't and she ain't gonna waste their time with no baby in Christ. No offense, because a baby in Christ is nobody's here to babysit. You see what I'm saying? We're supposed to be making godly seed. I don't got time to be babysitting you when I'm trying to make godly seed and do godly things, right? So can two Christians be unequally yoked? You best believe it, because not everybody believes the same. Not everybody's executing at a high level. Now unequally yoked. Is 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 the stronger term? Unequal yoke means like this. Now there could be a, a a balance because everyone's not perfect. They're not going to be a perfect yoke, but an equal yoke. There ain't no such thing as a perfect yoke. 
I'm pretty sure every yoke they put on the oxen wasn't carved perfectly. It may be uh, systematically, it might it might be engineered perfectly, but it may not. It may have some edges to it. It may have some variances. But what I mean by perfect yoke, perfect yoke, ain't nobody perfectly yoke, but we're talking about equal. Like, like uh, me and my wife are on the same level spiritually, but there are some things about certain things about God I know more than she does. And there's certain thing about God that she's experienced and know more than me. But we balance each other out because we had the same level of understanding and fervency and focus and submission to God. That's what I'm talking about. But unequally yoke means you believe this and it's a fundamental truth. This person don't believe it and it's affecting you progressing. Because the thing about being unequally yoked, unequally yoked <laughs> is it doesn't hurt the weaker vessel. That's why babes and weaker, that's why relationships that are unequally yoked never hurts the strong, it never hurts the weaker person because the weaker person benefits from the strength of the stronger person. When a calf is unequally yoked, it breaks the neck of the stronger oxen because the oxen is pulling its weight, it's pulling the weight of the other ox, it's pulling the weight of the carriage. And that's what breaks the believer. The devil wants to tempt you to be with somebody that's weaker than you, unequal to you, because it'll break you in the long run. It feels great because you want to be captain saving all. You want to be uh, Jesus in the flesh. But when you realize that you your flesh is not doesn't have the bandwidth to really reach somebody and you break in the process, then you're going to wish that you never got into the relationship. So what you got to do is make sure you with the one that God has for you. That person gonna be perfect, but that person is going to be equal to your weight and, it, and that person be able to carry what they need to carry. You cannot be unequally yoked carrying all the weight of everyone. You got to have an equal weight. You got to be with someone that can walk with you, run with you, uh, fly with you and grow with you in the things of God. Now, the second part of your question, met a Christian man. He thinks everything non-Christian is a sin, like going to a festival or skating and throws. Well, you got the super save. You met a super save. Now there's certain validity to certain things, I'm sure. But when you got a person like that, man, you got to leave them alone. It's all hype. Everything's a sin. I mean, it's almost self-righteousness. You know, it's like we in the world, but we're not of it. There are certain things that are demonic. But when that person said we can't go skating, you know what I'm saying? We can't get no ice cream. So what we're going to do is sit here and pray, you know? So if you if you got a super save saint, you got to let that person go. Ain't nothing worse than a super save saint. Super save. We're talking about double S on the chest. Super save. Triple S on the chest. Super save saints. Let them go because ain't nothing more annoying than a person who's super safe, who's uh, uh, too saved to be of any earthly good. There ain't no such thing as that. But what I mean by that, they're so caught up in the idea of salvation and so caught up in their self-righteousness that they're trying to impute their righteousness on you instead of allowing the imputed righteousness of Jesus to rest on them so they could be able to navigate life in a, in a peaceful, right way. Hope to help. How does a man know when you are the right one? When he's with the right one. And what I mean by that is when he's with God. Like a man has to be in such a relationship with God where all he wants to do is please him. And a man will look you in the eye and say, because I love God, I have to let you go. Or because I love God, I, I got to do X, Y, and Z. So how does a man know when you are the right one? God will see him your way. I don't think God's going to send a man in your life blindly. God may reveal, may, God may not reveal. 
I don't know. God works in nuances. I cannot say definitively because even Jesus didn't heal the same way. So I don't like to say things that make it seem like that God does this for everyone. But God knows exactly how to do things to make you feel, not feel, to make sure you know that it's him. So you don't have to worry about a thing. Just stay in the presence of God. Stay with him. And in the, in the right time, God will show you the, that he'll bring the right man to you or he'll bring you to the right man. There's no need to worry. I tell everyone, put all that relationship stuff in God's hand, because how I got married to the woman I, I, I'm with now, to Brittany, I don't know how in the world it happened, but it happened. I know it happened because of the grace of God and the guidance of God. And I am so grateful for it because I saw him do it even in the midst of my stupidity, even in the midst of my ego, even in the midst of my idolatry of ministry, even in the midst of all that, God still made it work. So trust him. And I promise you, sooner than you think, whatever he has for you will be in your life when it needs to be. I got time for maybe two more. I'm going to go to the 45 minute mark. I'm being nice today. I'm going to go to the 45 minute mark. I may go an hour. Nah, I got to go. I got to go lift weights. Um, how do you know when a business idea you are pursuing is from God? After listening to a sermon, it gave me the, the mo this motivation to start. I've been praying about it and leaving it in God's hands. Good question, Christina. You know, it's a business idea from God when there's innovation. Innovation is key. Um, um, God will never give you an old thing. He'll give you a fresh way to do an old or new thing. Right. So, you know, it's a business idea when there's innovation. Uh, you know, it's a God thing when there's um, uh, uh, what I mean by frustration means is you're restless. You're restless. Oh, man. When God gives me an idea, like a book idea, or a business idea, man, it's like, man, I can't I can't. It's, it's like it's like I'm, I'm, a, I'm a man. So I don't know what it's like carrying a uh, carrying a baby. What I mean, is like it's like carrying something extra in you. you there's a frustration. There's a. Wow, like I, I gotta work on this. You see what I'm saying? So you know it's from God when there's innovation, when there's frustration, uh, when there's supernatural motivation, when you find yourself down, you're like out of nowhere motivated to do it. Um, because you're gonna need supernatural motivation because anything that God wants you to do is gonna be bigger than you. The number one question I have to ask yourself is it too big? Is it too little for God to be a part? And is it too big for me to do it alone? It's that simple. Is it too small for God to be a part? Is it too big for me to do it on my own? Uh, yeah. So if it's if what I mean by that is, if it's too small for God, like, oh, I could do this all by myself. It ain't from God. If it's too big and you know you can't do it yourself, it's from God. Because God would never give you a human-sized idea because human-sized idea only requires humans. God will only give you big God-sized ideas because he knows you want to have to stay close to him and depend on him to get it done. So... Um, um, uh, what was my, uh, words, um, innovation, frustration, motivation, and preparation. God will always give you a season to prepare for it. So hope those things help, but you know, it's a God idea, man, when you can't shake it. And now, and now you have to make sure that, that you really give it back to God. God, show me. 
what I always do, I always carry a notebook and a pen and a pencil around me, whatever, because I, I'm, I'm always ready to receive. The reason why many people don't receive ideas from God, because they don't have no provisions to receive. They don't have a notebook. They don't have a pen. They don't have nothing to jot it down. Like you, you, you will a creative God. God will give you ideas anytime. Have your phone ready. Have your notebook ready. Have stuff ready to receive from God. So how do you know when a business idea you are pursuing is from God? After listening to a sermon, it gave me this motivation to start. I have been praying about it and leaving it in God's hands. If it's too small for him to be a part, and if it's too big for you to do it alone, that's a God idea. Hope to help. Amen. My hair has is doing a series on the gospel loop. Oh, really? That's good. My church. I'm about to say your hair. I'm like, your hair got a word. No, nah, I mess with you. There is a gorgeous man I'm really interested in, but he is not making any moves. There are a lot of women throwing themselves at him, but how can I get my chance with him without looking too desperate? Don't even, don't even, don't even think about him. You know, it don't matter how gorgeous this man is. The man God has for you is 10 times more gorgeous than him. So if that, like the thing about God is God, if it's for you, God will deliver it. God will bring it to your front door, not necessarily your front door, because then you might be tempted to jump on that gorgeous man. You see what I'm saying? But what I'm trying to say is I don't care how many women are throwing themselves at him. You don't do it. I wouldn't even try to talk to him. I wouldn't even try to um, make myself available. You don't make yourself available. You don't, you just mind God's business and mind your business and go on about your life and let God do the matchmaking. I know, I know, I know it's difficult. I've been there, but I've seen the manifestation of God in my life. I know it's not easy watching something so gorgeous and so great right there in front of you and you feel trapped because everyone's telling you to let God do it. And you're like, but God, I want to put it in my own hands. When was the last time you did anything great with your own hands without God. You see what I'm saying? So when you begin to realize that God will, you got to listen to people who are on the other side of the fence who also felt the same frustrations, but is now uh, uh, receiving or is now eating the fruit off of their faithfulness, feeding the fruit off of their faith in God. You got to keep that faith in God until you get to this side of the fence. I can, I'm screaming to all the singles out there. I'm screaming to you all, letting you know, stay faithful to God. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he will make it work for you. I don't care what is against you. I don't care what people got to say. God will do it. I'm a living witness. So, so you can take my word for it or you can go forward with your words and try to try to get this gorgeous man in your life. But no matter what, anything you do without God is not going to be great for you. The Bible says the blessed Lord has no sorrow. Anything you do without God will bring sorrow to your life. So trust him. I'm on the other side of the fence telling all single people it's well worth the wait. God is very good at matchmaking and he is thorough and detailed. And he has, I mean, to the stuff, the stuff that my wife told me about her ch childhood years. We, I went to a middle school in Gastonia. How about she was from Gastonia? We don't even know if we saw each other when we was 12. See, so you got to understand like God is good at detail. Like you see what I'm saying? So God is, God is very good. Like, like how do we, I'm just letting you know. And I remember one time she said she went to the church, my church. She didn't go to my church when I was there. And she felt like there's something special about this church. And then all of a sudden we get married in the same church. So you got God is good, man. When you meet the right one and y'all begin to reflect on your own unique paths, you begin to say God was connecting us the whole time. Stay hidden, my friends, and the right one will find you. So don't look desperate. That's the one thing you don't want to do is look desperate. All right. How to start small when making changes in your life? Good question. How to start small. 
Um, everything big is made up of small things. So you have to respect the small no matter what. So transition is a very turbulent time for a lot of people because you're making transition. But as you move it from one place to another or you're changing from one thing to another, keep always endeavor to keep your mind on the details because everything big is held up by little small things. Right. So to practically practically do that, write down the details of every significant thing in your life. Write down the details. The Bible says it's the small fox that spoiled the vine. The big foxes were too big to get to the fruit, but it was a small fox that was able to get up on the fence and chew at the roots. And as it was chewing at the roots, it affected the fruit. So you have to look at the details of the things because even though you have fruit today, doesn't mean that fruit will grow to its full potential or that it will grow into full ripeness because it could be the little small things eating it. So keep a record of your life. Keep your eye on all the details and it starts by journaling. Who? good question. Good question. Last one. I got to go, y'all. Hey, coach, how do I surrender my desire for marriage to God? Mm. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not to your understandings. In all your ways, acknowledge him. He'll make your path straight. You have to ask yourself, how much do I trust him? It's hard to let go. It's hard to trust somebody you don't know. The more I got to know, the more I got to know God, the more I let go to God. You see what I'm saying? The more I got to know God, the more I gave to God. That's what I'm going to say. The more I got to know him, the more willing I was to give everything to him. The reason why we hold on to certain things is because we don't know God. When you know somebody, you know their trustworthiness. The more you get to know somebody, the more you begin to know they're worthy of trust. The less you know about a person, the less likely you will give worth, uh, worthiness to their trust, trustworthiness, if that makes sense. So what I'm trying to say is what you need to do tonight is go to God and say, God, I really want to be married. I really do. But God, I know I'm not ready for marriage. So God, since I'm not ready, here is my life. Do what you will. When you open, when you become vulnerable to God and you vent to God and you voice your concerns to God, there's going to be a supernatural peace that's going to surpass all your understanding. It's going to creep in your room. Actually, not even creep in your room. It's going to just hit your room because God's going to be like, now your heart is ready for the master to mold you. If you never vulnerable, if you never vent, and if you never voice your concerns to God, and you're not really um, 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 willing to go forward in trusting him, then you're going to always have a close grip on marriage. Marriage is overrated to those who haven't allowed themselves to be refurbished, right? Because you're going to, you, you overly hyping it. You got to, you overthinking it. You're, you're too consumed by it. To the point that when you do get married, you're going to be like, it wasn't really all that. That's like going to Disney World. You know what I'm saying? And, and, and you like, man, you heard all these great things about Disney World. But when you get there, you realize, oh, that's cool. That's how marriage is for people that overly hype it off the stories of other people who probably either, either never went or went, but just want to brag about how they went somewhere you didn't went, but they really didn't enjoy themselves. So how you surrender it is being vulnerable, venting, and voicing your concerns to God. And know, um, um, and to know your volume. That's the V I want to get to your volume. What am I supposed to do? How, what's my volume? What's my density? What's my, what's my purpose now? 
You know what I'm saying? What am I supposed Because I'm telling you, the best way to not think of something is to think of something else. The best way not to think about marriage is think about the purpose you have right now. That's what I did. And I got a bunch of books written in the process. I got a bunch of videos done in the process. There's stuff that he wants you to do right now. Hope that help. Coach has to go. I love y'all so much. I know I do. Um, ah, Tiffany, man. Why you had to put a good question right there, Tiffany Jones? Tiffany Jones. Coach Josh, when is the perfect time to tell a guy I'm dating that sex is off the table? Do I wait until he asks me for a commitment? I'll tell him right now. The bet, like, 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 we got to have one of those conversations. This is what you have to do. Hey, I just want to make sure that we're going in the right direction. I just want to make sure I'm clear about uh, my expectations. I'm, I want to make sure I'm clear about, about what I stand for. You got to have that conversation. Nothing, it's never a early, there's never a bad time to have that conversation. Clarity is the most important thing in being clear because what you don't want to do is to, is to, is to confuse a brother or to or, or whatever. You just want to be clear and just have that conversation. Hey, man. Hey, Jimmy. Hey, how be, How was your day? It was great. Great. All right. Um, what you doing tomorrow? I'd love to go out. Let's let's go out somewhere, get some coffee. And um, I want to just make sure I'm clear about what type of woman I am. I want to make sure I'm clear about my expectations about sex, my expectation about, about purity, my expectations or my standards. There we go. Standards and expectations. Here are my standards, and this is what I expect you um, to do in a situation. What I mean by expect, like you can't be like telling somebody what to do, but you say, here are my standards and here are my expectations. You see what I'm saying? Like, um, I just, I just, my expectation is for you to respect my standards. That's all you got to say. My expectation for you is to simply respect my standards, but have that conversation in me. Don't wait till you bring it up because if he brings it up, then you know what's up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? If, if he's bringing it up, it's what's up. You know what I'm saying? He's like, I've been, I've been waiting six months, three months. I'm ready to get, let him know now so he can let himself, so you can see what he's really about. You let him know now. We'll see how long he stays. Have a conversation. Write your standards out. Right. Just, you know, you don't got to be all business like, but this is your life. Yeah. You, this is your life. Here are my standards. Here are my expectations. This is, this is what I want to do with my life. Is you in or is you out? Is this cool with you? Is it not? But then when you make those standards known, as everything known, you got to make sure you are committed and consistent with those things. Because don't confuse a man by saying one thing and doing another, saying one thing and inviting him over, saying one thing and sitting on his lap, saying one thing and kissing him on his neck, saying one thing and being all up in the man's ear. He's a human at the end of the day. A man of God can't handle certain things. The Bible says, man, you got to avoid the pain. You got you to run like Joseph and make sure you got one of those coats that tie up. There's just certain things not even God's elite soldiers can handle. That's why God's elite men don't even put themselves in those type of situations because it doesn't matter how strong of a man of God you are. You still got to. You see what I'm saying? So don't be over here telling this man, hey, this what's up. This is what I'm feeling. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to be pure. You know what I'm saying? Now, all of a sudden, you, 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 you know, you confuse the man and then get mad at the man when he do something against your standards. And, but, 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 you know, love you guys. Y'all be blessed. I got to go. Hope this was a blessing. Um, Timestamps will be at the bottom. Uh, anything you want to know about me is at IamUnplugged.com. One-on-one coaching session. I'm opening up some more times. Um, um, books, six books, two card games, a course. 
Um, if you want to give the support our mentoring program, we we're gonna we probably gonna have about 45 kids this year, but we need your help. Um, find more about that on, on our website. Love you guys, y'all be blessed. I gotta get to the gym. Love y'all. I think that's it. Peace.